very much, Claire. Um, my name's Nigel. I'm an alcoholic. Um, it's a long time to talk. <laughs> I just realised. <laughs> so um, I have got notes. Um, Don't yeah, worry, I listen. As long as you feel comfortable for. Yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. Um, I listened to David, who I know very well, um, and I often don't say my sobriety day. Um, so I've been sober since November 1st, uh, 2007. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, the last time I, I always say November 1st, because I think the, the last time I got drunk was literally Halloween in 2007. Um, yeah, and when Pax asked me, he said, you know, have you got a theme? And I was a little bit like, uh, <laughs> wasn't quite sure. And then we were chatting and then, you know, I obviously kind of realised that um, I said, you know, about the problem of self. So I'll start there. Um, I'll be a bit circuitous and go around the houses probably, but... Um, I always think that you end up doing a chair when you kind of need to do it. I'm not a particular one for thinking that everything is directed literally by um, a kind of conscious thinking God, but there is a lot of happy coincidence when you end up doing things. Um, so the self thing, what I found is having got sober, having done all the steps, having got a lot better, having become a lot less self-centered and a lot less self-obsessed, I have noticed that it does just come back. It can come back if you don't, you know, keep on doing the things that you're taught to do and that you learn to do by doing the steps and listening to people. Um, and I guess the reason I'm saying that is it's just in daily life, you know, that, that you know, you can still become selfish and self-centered again. And I, I have to work on not being like that. So cut a long story short, I ended up having a, a, a row with my girlfriend, because, mainly because I wasn't doing the things that I needed to do to keep myself on the straight and narrow and on an even keel. So I, I'm always been a big fan of you know, the phrase good orderly direction for God and, you know, group of drunks and great outdoors. Um, but the good orderly direction thing is really important. So if I don't do some exercise to feel better and I don't do some yoga and some breathing and some meditation and whatever form that takes for people, you know, mine was always, I did a bit of yoga. I sat still and did some breathing, you know, if I stop doing those things, I slowly become a bit more of a, you know, I won't swear, but I, you know, become more difficult and I will fly off the handle at things that normally I can deal with, like, you know, small, what should be smaller disagreements with a girlfriend. Um, but what happens is if I, if I don't do those things that I've learned the hard way by having to do them through the steps, I become, I can very quickly close off emotionally as well within, within relationships. There are bigger implications than just having an argument over something seemingly stupid on the phone. Um, so, you know, to put it in kind of AA terms, it's basically that if I don't do my step 10 and 11 regularly, 
you know, I fall back into those old behaviors and that old kind of mindset. So that kind of flyer, I was well impressed by Pax doing these cool flyers. I've never, you know, been to a meeting or done a chair at a meeting where you have those. But um, really, if I go back to the beginning, I was utterly, utterly, utterly self-obsessed and really, really self-centered. Um, and it got to the point where I just, I was making myself sick, basically, emotionally sick. And the drinking came out of that. So um, I was never able to control my drinking um, from teenagehood. Um, so, you know, I won't do the whole drunkologue, but I, you know, I, I, I don't think I ever really drank normally i didn't get absolutely out of my face every single time but i absolutely had no ability to stop when i wanted to um and i slowly overthrew my 20s and then into my early 30s became more and more and more unhappy you know to put it really really simply i just became really unhappy i was frustrated all the time i was annoyed i was annoyed at myself i was annoyed at other people but i couldn't really put two and two together um all the things you kind of hear about in the book so irritated discontent all of those things rang true um but outwardly i didn't have any you know i was one of those textbook people who you know outwardly seems pretty successful um in lots of ways and because i was still kind of high functioning and i was 31 when i came in um i was still high functioning i held down jobs i was beginning to absolutely i mean more than beginning i hated the job i was in at the time and and that was kind of i thought was the cause of why i was so annoyed etc irritated discontent but everything revolved around me i mean everything in my head revolved around me everything was about how amazing i could be it wasn't really about anybody else it wasn't really about giving back or any of the kind of useful words that we we, we learn in aa and and i use that word useful a lot i mean i now try and be useful and when i I have some kind of purpose and a sense of purpose. But when I stopped doing the step 10 and 11 stuff, where I stopped doing the things that I learned, I slowly become less mindful of being useful to the wider world. And it, it becomes more about me all over again. So to kind of give you a kind of context, you know, I was like, I didn't come from an alcoholic family as such. You know, my mum and dad were fairly normal in that regard. My mother had a lot of mental health issues that you know, are still kind of unresolved. Uh, my parents divorced quite early. Um, that was quite brutal in some ways on me. Um, but, you know, like, like you hear in many meetings, none of that made me an alcoholic. I was very, very aware that my, my, uh, my granddad, um, he died of liver cirrhosis and I, I never met him. I think he, he died quite young as well. He might even have been like late fifties. Um, and you know he was uh i'm half indian and he he was like a village doctor basically ran the like, little hospital in a village in the back of the end in rural india so it, it wasn't like i 
to be honest, I don't think my dad even said liver cirrhosis. He would slightly, he would say liver cancer. And it was only later that I twigged, actually, no, he, he died from drinking an awful lot of whiskey. No, no two ways about it. And, you know, I often, I sometimes feel quite sad that, that I never got to meet him. I would have absolutely loved to have met him. But I didn't get that chance because he, um, well, you know, he passed away. So the, the reason I mentioned that is that when it came to the point when I was just so unhappy that I literally hit this wall when I was 31 and I, I, I threw in the towel, I had this epiphany or moment of clarity um, when I realised I just needed help. And I, I toyed with the idea so many times of um, going to, I, I mean, I'd looked at the website um many many times i'd um i think i've done the little quizzes you can find online you know and i and i always you know <laughs> ticked off quite sufficient enough of those boxes that that you know they said you should get help um but i didn't do anything about it for ages i think i was you know i was i was always like quite um, proud of my own intellect and whatever academic kind of achievements I've accumulated. And I just, I think I used the excuse I was put off by the, the God word and, and whatever that was. And then honestly, when I hit 31, it wasn't even a particularly out of the ordinary in terms of my experience. It wasn't any particularly different, you know, weekday when I went out and got hammered, ended up in places I shouldn't have been. And, but for whatever it was, I bumped into a friend in London, in the library, um, just outside. And uh, he was one of my, luckily he was one of my oldest friends from university. And I just said to him, I, I need you to do me a favor. And I think he just thought, oh, can you watch my bag while I go to the loo or something utterly prosaic. And I just said, I, I need to go to an AA meeting and I need you to take me. And um, I used to, you know, you know, I, don't, I, I, I couldn't really analyse why it was that day or anything. But, you know, Doug is a very calm person. And he immediately just said, yeah, go, you, you know, how are you going to do it? And I said, well, I think I need to call the AA number. I was very lucky that he was there because he called me on it then and there. And he said, yeah, go and call them. So I went and called them. I snuck outside, you know, it was in just off Euston, King's Cross, the British Library. I, I, I went down the, the side path thing and uh, called AA. They told me where this meeting was in, Kent, uh, in Gospel Oak, which I then went to quite a lot after. But I went, you know, they told me where this meeting was. And then I remember the, the guy on the phone saying, uh, you know, can I get someone to call you up after? And I didn't really want that <laughs> at all. I made some lame excuses. and But, you know, having done phone service, I haven't done phone service for an awfully long time, but I, which is a note to self. I, I have done it. And um, it was my first point of contact with AA. And whoever was on the phone did what you're meant to do. He made sure that I, you know, I said, yeah, all right, then someone can call me. So I went to my first meeting in Gospel Oak. Didn't relate to everything, but I did relate to a couple of things. And I remember 
this guy said about having a Jekyll and Hyde character. And I, I think paraphrasing, he said in many ways he was kind of normal, but then he could switch. And, you know, his friends probably wouldn't understand this other side and that, that, and that was fueled by alcohol. And you know, I don't really remember much more of it, but I do remember that he gave me that little thin living sober book. Um, and he put his name on a little scrap of paper, you know? Um, so, uh, and I never called him, but, but it, was, it was actually, you know, having been in that situation since and given my number, and being available and open to that. Um, I can see how important that was. And, and then I then, you know, a few years later, quite a few years later, when I finally sponsored someone, I, I then gave that little living sober book on to someone else. I guess the point is, is that, you know, there are loads of things that didn't seem, um, didn't seem the same, but there was enough for me to realize. I, I, I really did not doubt that I needed to be there. So uh, there was enough that chimed, even from that first meeting, that I knew I needed that. And I, and I knew it needed something. And I needed help. Um, and I, I do remember, you know, in the meeting, them saying, oh, yeah, you know, I go to like four or five meetings a week. And I do remember thinking, oh, my God, that's insane. <laughs> at that time and even my mate Doug who is like not like um very open-minded he's just geez they go every day and um but anyway long as long the short of it is I kept going to meetings I didn't like get sober straight away I kept screwing up for quite some time but I was lucky that it was you know probably six months as a, rather than a year of, of bouncing in and out and, and not doing the things correctly. I mean, I literally used to go to meetings in and around Hampstead in North London, go to meetings and go to the pub on my own after. I mean, it was just absolutely ludicrous, but you know, it, um, you know, everybody's heard these things. Um, I thought maybe if I did AA, I could like, you know, not drink in the week and then just have like one night when I did and obviously it just doesn't work like that. Um, and then eventually what happened is like, you know, I didn't have a sponsor and then I finally, you know, a guy in this home group meeting in, in Kidapur Avenue in Hamza, which is, which is now again, my, you know, regular meeting. I'm, I'm the kind of zoom secretary at the moment there, which is how I know Pax. But um, I, mentioned on the way out oh yeah i should get a sponsor and this guy patrick just said I i'll happily be a sponsor and for whatever reason you know normally i'd have asked for it you know if it was work i'd have asked for a cv and analyzed it whatever and i think luckily i didn't quite know the etiquette of saying yeah you know can we do it temporarily or whatever it was either way i just said yes I then kind of, I, you know, worried about it for a bit, thinking, oh, my God, how did I just say yes to this guy? I don't even know this guy. Who is this guy? Whatever. Um, but, you know, it was a really good thing I did. And he basically, from then, I had a sponsor, but then I did nothing with him. You know, he was very good in the sense that he didn't force you to go and 
you know, he kind of knew that you've got to do the work, you've got to want to do it. So, you know, which I've kind of done with sponsors as well since, but there was about a couple of months, I think, when I had technically had a sponsor, but didn't call him. Um, and then sure enough, you know, that's when I had my last, you know, drink, basically. It was like Halloween, October 31st on 2007. And I, I had some screening for a short film I'd produced. You know, that's what I was doing. I was a TV producer originally. And then I'd taken a few months off to produce some short film. Um, and then one of my oldest friends, another old friend from university came in and he, he's quite a big shot in terms of his work and everything. And he just rubbed me up the wrong way. It was all my doing. I mean, you know, he, he, he you know, it, the effect was down to my deficiencies at that point, my character defects, as we call them. But I got annoyed, my vanity was pricked. He said a couple of things which were kind of dismissive effectively and I took that very personally and I just went and dragged my sorrow. It's like, oh, woe is me. Um, you know, these aren't like, um, you know, this isn't like the kind of life-threatening or survival like uh, story of like um, losing houses, etc. But at the time, the way I felt was acutely miserable. And I honestly can't remember exactly where I ended up. But drink always led to other things. And so I the next the next morning is when I bumped into my other friend Doug at the library, and that's when I called AA. No, 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 sorry, I'm I'm getting it wrong now. My timeline's totally overlapped. That's when I that was that's what I mean so I that was my my last drink and then when I turned up at the meeting I can't remember if it was the next day or the couple of days later and I saw Patrick he said oh how are you doing how was your screening and I said I was all right but I ended up drinking and he he knew that he could tell that's what was you know that I was ill-equipped to deal with any kind of emotional um kind of things that bubbled up whatever they whatever they were and then from then I just said yeah maybe I should call you each night as if it was like uh you know it obviously wasn't my idea but like um I I said that to him he said yeah that that probably be a good idea and again he wasn't forcing me he just said yeah that probably will be a good idea and then I said, when's it good to call he, call you? And he just said, well, you know, anytime after 8.30, around nine's good. And so literally from then on, I called him every evening. They weren't even long chats. Patrick was amazing, but he wasn't the chattiest person on the phone. But I knew that I had someone that one, I could check in with, two, who was on my side. But that, that, that thing of knowing that you had to call someone was a kind of very, a lot of these things are practical before you get onto the steps and try and readdress how your mind is, how you think about things and your emotions, et cetera. A lot of it is like practical. You know that at night I've got to call someone who is no, not dumb when it comes to people drinking and will know if I've even had a whiff of anything. So I did that and I did it for quite a few months. And he just said, when you're ready and you want to do the steps, let me know. 
luckily he lived very nearby. And then a few months later, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I think I want to do that. And we, we just literally, it was very regular. Um, I went around every Wednesday and we started reading through the book. And um, he was like really rigorous about the language of the book. You know, what does it literally say? Um, in terms of what, you know, what, what's the intention behind it? And, you know, it, what is it actually asking you to do? So in like, I guess in the kind of no half measures and, and um, but he was very good at contextualizing it because he could see that I had this brain that was worrying over, do I buy this? And the, the kind of 1930s, 1940s language of it and the, the very Christian language of it, I, he could see that I was, I wasn't trying to jettison it, but I was trying to work through, well, how do I view that? Or how do I do this? And in the end, you know, again, this is not anything original, but in the end, my higher power element became, it was literally nature. I, luckily I lived near the Heath at the time. Now I do live near the Heath again, but um, you know, I, used to just go on the heath and I would find trees and greenery and you know I would occasionally do yoga in front of a tree and for me that's all I needed to know so when I when I did the steps after I'd written out my step one and acknowledged that I needed that that I had no control over alcohol and I saw that my life was unmanageable in various ways and I listed out the the examples. Um, after I did that, and when I had to do two and three, I was able to kind of, with this kind of guidance, just say, well, as long as I know that I'm not the most important thing, and that I don't control what happens to the tree or the universe, and that was fine for me at that point, basically. Um, how does that relate to self though i guess what it is is that by doing that i was able to kind of see that well i wasn't the most important thing on the planet and there were other things that were infinitely more important and you know that you know literally did not revolve around me in any shape or form and you know so the, the tree in the middle of the heath is is you know not a very complex symbol of that but then I guess I was also, what was useful about doing that, I mean, this is now coming back to me because I haven't thought about it as much for a while. I guess what it was is because I was so self-centered and egotistical, I had a massive ego. Um, because I was like total straight A student throughout school, I got a first university. I had this seemingly cool television job. Um, you know, I was one of those kids who was supposedly destined for really, you know, big things. And, um, you know, the reason I mention that is that when, when I had to do step three, I was kind of able to say, yeah, actually, I, it finally dawned on me. Oh, yeah, I literally didn't, whatever I think of my mental capacity, I didn't do any of that. Nothing to do with me in a kind of very literal QED sense, you have no control over that. You can, you can choose what you do with it and put effort into various things, but none of that is down to you. That's down to genetics, you know, the universe, you know, who, you know, all sorts of things, you know, absolutely nothing to do with, you know, me deciding anything. 
Um, and I think I only ever twigged with that because I had to do step three. Um, so, yeah, and then when I did step four, again, that the whole point of that step, the step four was finding out where the way I thought about things had skewed, you know, there might have been certain things that happened, whether your parents divorced, whatever, they're, they're not like things that don't exist. But your response to them and how you feel about them is totally driven by self-centeredness. So I was then able to look at them in, in columns. Um, again, you know, with this sponsor's guidance. And so now you've got to look at this, you list all the people that you've got, you know, grievances against or you blame for whatever. And sometimes they were absolutely ludicrous things. They weren't, they weren't earth-shattering things. They were just, you know, the effect on me was bigger than the actual thing. Um, yeah, and I guess by doing that, I was able to see one where I was being immature, two where again that was all driven by self-centeredness and what I could get out of things. Um yeah, and then and then I guess what happened was I was then able to I was able to forgive certain things as well. Um so that I didn't feel the the whatever seeming hurt that I'd kind of carried along. Um, but I was able to see things in a different way, basically. And again, I have to go back and do it. I I, I am lazy about doing regular inventories. I, you know, I fess up to it. I do know how to do it though. And when when you know when it's when things are swimming around in my head, I do. I write it down and I have to. Sometimes I feel dumb, but I have to. I have an argument with a girlfriend and then I have to write it down in a column to work out, well, oh yeah, this is my part in it. But I still have to do that. And I'm glad I know how to do it. Um, but usually it's like where you've put your own, you aren't thinking about the other people, basically. And none of this is particularly rocket science at all. You know, underneath they're, they're quite simple things. Just jumping back, you know, I was 31 when I came in. So and it was hands down the best thing I've ever done, without a doubt. Um, but I remember talking to my dad. My dad, I haven't spoken to my dad that often about what happened to my granddad. But I did ask him a few times. After, when, when, once I was in recovery and I got sober, I did ask him over the dinner table, what happened to your dad? And my dad is a very articulate man. He's, he's very, you know, he's very intelligent, but he was very simple about it. He didn't really say much apart from he got unhappy and started drinking a lot. You know, it was like a very, very simple answer. And actually it made a lot of sense. You know, he just got unhappy and whatever was going on in his head, he needed to deal with it with booze. Now I don't. I will never know what what you know what what got in my granddad's head or whatever or annoyed him. I, I, I will never know. But that spoke volumes actually, and it and it minded me of what I knew when I asked my friend Doug for help that first time. Can you take me to a meeting? 
it was like I had this moment of clarity that everyone talks about, but it was a bit like there was this window shutting. And if I didn't dive through that gap in the window, then I didn't know if I'd ever be able to do it in the future. And, you know, there are all sorts of, you know, bad metaphors that we can use. But the other thing was, it was like slipping down a hill with ice and you're just over the edge. But if you go any further, there's no way you're going to be able to get back up. And and I really felt like that. Um, and I, when I have to explain it to people who aren't in AA, sometimes, you know, people you have relationships with, like girlfriends, and sometimes it's difficult. Um, because, you know, you're trying to explain that it just gets worse. And you know that it's going to get worse. And um, yeah, and I think early on, I don't wake up and feel in a kind of, oh my God, I'm going to drink today. But I, I know from hearing people and from the experience I have had that if I leave things Feel, you know, simmering along, simmering away, and I don't resolve things, that that is the outcome. That is the natural end of those things. And I, I don't really have any doubt about that I'd, at the moment. Uh, I stay at the moment because I'm mindful of how, you know, your mind can do weird things. So I've been, I've been lucky I haven't had any kind of major cravings for quite a few years. Um, but I know that if I don't keep, um, if I don't keep going to meetings, I don't get reminded and I don't keep on top of my emotional well-being, that that is the danger. And it, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's strange trying to explain that to that a lot of, a lot of friends who aren't in a will understand all the bit about, yeah, they can see how the things I've said about self-centeredness, whatever can you know can drive you to whatever but it's difficult sometimes for them to get that yeah we still have to keep doing these things you know um and that i just accept that yeah i will keep going to meetings and yes i will keep talking to the friends i have in the fellowship and i will keep doing service you know so going back to the kind of theme of it i am slightly rambling is that the service stuff is really important. I mean, one, it actually is quite fun. <laughs> you know, I, I've always, you know, I, I haven't always made the tea, but I've only done it a couple of times. So I, I've always really quite liked making the tea. I, I ran clear of it for years, and, and then I actually, my, I, you know, my first sponsor asked, the sponsee asked me to sponsor them. I think I bumped into them because I was making the tea. So you know, these things obviously have a point. Uh, and you know it makes you think less of yourself and that you've got to help other people and that you know you're trying to be useful in whatever form it is um and it doesn't have to be you know saving the world on a massive scale it can literally be making the tea for someone who needs a bit of help um so i do do service and i do sponsor people um and i've taken the people through the book and I guess what it is, is that 
Um, I'm trying to, I've lost my eye on whatever, <laughs> whatever clock there is. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh yeah, I can see. Uh, oh God, it's 9.40. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, having sponsored people that you know i you can see the you know, i guess a bit like when patrick took me through my steps that you know you can see the things that are gonna bite someone in the ass if they don't keep at the steps and get honest about whatever it is and i've seen that a few times with people i've sponsored and that you know i've got a good friend who he moved on to another sponsor for whatever reason I, I i had i had quite a few sponsees at the time and i i was just quite honest i said i don't think i can give you the time that you you know to do the job properly with you and and i think that was okay you know i think that was okay to do and actually he's doing really well with this new sponsor but he calls me and checks in and says what do you think about this and you know i try to be honest and say but now he's doing you know he did his original step four with me but then didn't follow through and then you know sure enough things you know he drank again etc so you've got to follow through and be honest so um i will bring up something that's a bit sad as well so all of this is kind of around the way how's it you know i had a friend who was in the fellowship briefly very close friend and um she died tragically about a year, just over a year ago. And uh, she was amazing, absolutely amazing. But she just, you know, she had various issues. It wasn't just alcohol. She had some mental health issues as well. And in many ways, she was that kind of high functioning kind of alcoholic who had, you know, held down like law jobs and things. But she was working patchily by then. But I guess along, you know, she, the reason I'm mentioning it, she, she, she wasn't prepared to be honest and do the step work. And there was absolutely no way she was going to make amends to people that she thought owed her amends. And, you know, she took her own life. But when you, you know, you go through all the things of like, what could you have done, etc. But, you know, I, I got therapy in it and they helped me see that, you know there's nothing I could have done but I guess the point is is that you know if there's anything in the stat work any of this stuff it's just you have to be honest and not you can't you can't do bs to yourself and you and you know people can spot it a mile off as well so I always try to be honest even when I shared early on and I always encourage sponsees to just share and be honest and, you know, but yeah. So my friend Layla, she passed away, you know, for various reasons, but one of them I know is that she wasn't prepared to do that. So again, like lots of people say, there are lots of people who kind of need to do this, but you have to want to be able to, you have to want to do the, you want you have to want to go through the process and need to do it in in yourself because no one else is going to make you do it nobody else can make you honestly write out a list of whatever's going on and write out a list of what's happened they can't they can grill you verbally but 
know, you have to want to do that. Um, yeah. That self-obsession has dissipated a lot, but it does come back. So if I don't do those things I mentioned, like my good orderly direction, and I don't try to connect with whatever my higher power is and get some perspective, I can very easily come back and I can get my knickers in a twist, basically. And I can make it all about me all over again. I can start thinking, um, why has this not happened? I can be discontent. I've got a couple of creative projects that I'm coming to a close on. I've got to finish this this year. And I was tinkering around with another one. I, I originally started out, I was a drama student and I used to perform. And then I left that way behind. I was like 23 and I, I, I didn't do anything with it. And I kind of rediscovered it this year. And I started doing little videos on Twitter and stuff. And some of them, are, you know, I, I think are good, but then I can sit there thinking, oh, you know, the grandiosity can come back like that, literally within, a, you know, uh, within a very short space of time. And I can lose, lose perspective entirely. I can lose perspective on what I have had to learn is like that, I have to just try and be useful to the wider world. And that doesn't mean abandoning what I'd like to do. It doesn't mean abandoning what I'm trying to do in terms of goals or whatever. But it means having a very, you, you have to reconnect with that thing that it's not actually about your self-importance or whatever you get out of it it's just about you being useful to the wider world and the universe i have to try keep it that simple basically um yeah but i will i'll wrap up with just saying that i you know i'm only reminded of those things because i do still go to meetings and i still have friends who you know, people I literally call friends. Uh, you know, they're amazing people who I know. And have known me quite a long time. Now that I go to this Hampstead Kiddapur meeting again, there are people who've known me since I literally first stumbled into the meetings there. And, you know, that's an amazing thing. And I, I've been very lucky. I've, I've been able to work around the world. I worked in India at one point, and then I was in Singapore. And I used to go to meetings there. And, you know, I was that kind of phrase, dry drunk, when I lived in Singapore. I'm pretty, yeah, I mean, I wasn't really doing the, the putting the effort in. But I still went to meetings and people nudged me along the right path somehow, <laughs> you know. And I can still remember those conversations. You know, there's, there's always a whole raft of conversations in your head that you've had with various people. There's a guy in the Kiddapool meeting, one David, and there's another guy called Kelly, who I, I can literally almost verbatim remember what they said to me in a room in Hampstead, which pushed me along to where I needed to go to next. Because I, you know, I thought I had done enough, and Kelly had just said, "No, I, I think you know." I didn't know, but he said, "I think you know that you've got a bit of a way to go." He said very nicely, and uh, you know, and he was right. 
Um, but there were people in this meeting in Singapore that gave me some really good advice when I needed it. You know, and it's absolutely, it's very precious. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, and I don't think anyone who's outside of AA can ever really fully, you know, fully get it in, in terms of what, you know, we all rave about it, but it is quite extraordinary. I mean, I, I'll wrap up in a moment, but it, I, you know, I used to go to meetings in India and I had the same thing. The closest I came to picking up was I'd landed in India, in Delhi. It was probably about 2010, no, 2011, just into 2011. And this girlfriend of mine who, who had broken up with me and I was absolutely, I think I was more devastated than I've ever been about a relationship. I was in floods of tears, et cetera, et cetera. Anyhow, I, I landed in Delhi and I realized, I realized that she'd started up a relationship with the professor, the academic who'd sorted out my placement. Uh, and I was just going through absolute cartwheels of like indignation and anger and everything. Now it just seems like absolutely like, you know, uh, but at the time I was going spare. I was in my, it was like two in the morning in, in, a, in a new room in Delhi in a really, really, really random part of town. I didn't know what anything was. And I was, you know, I was absolutely racked and I called my sponsor. He didn't have to say much, but he just said in no uncertain terms, you have to get to a meeting tomorrow. And I did. I got to a meeting and my Hindi is appalling. And I, I, I used like absolutely my, you know, five lines of appalling Hindi and got myself to a meeting in this school in South Delhi. And these, these people kept me safe for like the next kind of eight months. Um, you know, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't called Patrick and I hadn't gone to that meeting, but I, you know, I, I know that I was needing something to help me. There was also to get, to get that call through to Patrick, you know, it was like, you know, there was no Wi-Fi and there was no whatever. I had to go find a SIM card at like two in the morning from like a roadside stall, like things that are now actually a lot easier, but um, I will wrap up, but I'm, you know, I'm really glad that Pax asked me to do, you know, to do a chat. I hope someone got something useful out of it. I do just try to be honest. And, um, you know, I'm always happy to chat to people as well. You know, I will get my number out at the end. I'm always happy to chat. But I'll, I'll wrap up on that. Thank you very much, Nigel. Thank you. And didn't that time fly when you're having fun, eh? <laughs> you did like a swift 52 minutes there so well no, thank you very much um um yeah no Kiddapore is uh gosh I miss Kiddapore Avenue it's been my home group for, for a long time I go to the early uh the early run um I've, I've done the double bubble sometimes but I don't think our paths have crossed there etc but it's a it's a wonderful meeting and I uh I know Kelly well, and I absolutely love and adore Kelly. And, uh, you know, he's somebody, whenever I used to hear him share, I used to just want to sponge every single little bit of information and just tuck it away for a rainy day. Um, 